Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. You know, we're continuing our series on, on relationships. Uh, the, the first week we talked about the importance of communication as a real foundation for all of our relationships. And then last week, Dale did an amazing job talking about uh, relationships in, in the kingdom and the importance of, of uh, community that spurs on our spiritual growth and is, is just the, such an important part of the community. And today, I am talking about sexuality. And my mom's here, so that's fun. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, but yeah, it's going to be really, really good. I think that the, the world talks so much about sex and sexuality, right, that we cannot ignore it. We can't avoid it. We would be doing a disservice as a church and as ministers of the gospel if we just you know, kept silent about this, this topic, right? Because our sexuality is an, a very, very important part of who we are. Right? And for many of us, it dominates our thoughts, right? and it guides our actions and our thoughts, whether consciously or subconsciously, uh, often more subconsciously than I think we are aware of. I guess that's what subconscious means. So often uh, what we see in, in the biblical story is that our ethic, right, as Christ followers or as God's people, we've always been different from the world. All right, we've always been set apart uh, a little bit. And so we're going to look at relationships and, and sexuality first here at the beginning, kind of uh, way back in the beginning with, with Moses as he's bringing the people up out of Egypt. All right, so we're going to start way back in everybody's favorite book, Leviticus. All right, so in chapter 18 of Leviticus, the, the Lord is instructing Moses to, he's saying, this is what I need you to tell the people about their sexuality, about the appropriate way to uh, approach sex. So he says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord, your God. All right, so we see that as the Lord is moving the Israelites out of Egypt, he's saying, you cannot act like they did in Egypt, right? You are different. You are my people. I have a plan, a purpose, and a design for sexuality, and you must come into alignment with that. Right? And so we also see here that the place where you're going, they also don't have a very good sexuality, a, a, a God-fearing sexuality, an understanding of the proper design and place for sex. And then throughout chapter 18, uh, the Lord gets very specific about what you're not supposed to do. So we'll just go through this quickly. You're welcome. Sex, uh, don't do it with close relatives. This is very, don't have sex with your mom or your father's wife or your sister or your granddaughter or your aunt, your father's wife, your daughter-in-law, or your brother's wife. Okay, good. Check. We got that. And obviously this is a patriarchal society, and so you know, Moses is, is writing this uh, 
to men predominantly, but trust me, it, it works on the flip side, right? Women don't have sex with your father or your mother's husband or your brother or your grandson, etc. Is that good? We good? All right. And he also says don't have homosexual sex. It is inappropriate. It will defile you. He also says don't have sex with animals. All right. And just very clear, it seems like do you really need to write these things out? Like we get it. But apparently in Egypt and in Canaan, These are the kind of things that were happening. And so God had to specifically say, don't do the things that they're doing in Egypt and don't do the things that they are doing in Canaan sexually. And he ends chapter 18 with this. He says, don't defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin. Sexual sin actually defiles the land. So I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nation's that were before you. So it seems like the Lord is trying to be very clear. Yeah. Okay? Uh, don't think that you are special, that you are above these expectations, because if you practice the things that the Canaanites have practiced, just like I'm kicking them out of the land, just like the land is vomiting them out, you will get kicked out of the land. You will be vomited out. So don't do it, because it defiles you. Right? And so if we can see from way back, what is that, two, 3,000 years ago, God's people were set apart from the nations and the cultures around them. Right? And in the same way, in the, the letter to the Ephesians that we're going to, to look at today, Paul said, you guys cannot act like the, the Gentiles do. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But the Gentiles were also promiscuous, practicing a sexual ethic that was way out of line from what God had called his followers to do. Right? And so as we look at this, we're going to see that we have been called to live out a holy sexuality in our lives. Right? Not because uh, sex is bad or is, is dangerous, right? but the, the fact is that it is beautiful. It is a gift that God has given us within the, the proper boundaries, within you know, the, God's design, and it is a powerful and amazing good. Right? We don't want to go too far and go, oh, all sex is bad and it's a dirty thing that we should keep in our, hidden in the closet, right? That's crazy. It is it's a good, powerful thing. But because it's so powerful, we need to use it correctly, right? Just like fire, like right? This is, I think, a pretty common illustration I used in, in youth group all the time, right? Uh, a fire is, is a good thing, right? We, with it, we can see, it gives light to read or whatever. We can cook food, right? We keep our houses warm with fire. It is good. But when fire is outside of its appropriate boundaries, we see how destructive it is. You know, we saw the, the car fires in, in uh, Redding, California just a month or so ago and how destructive that fire was. Right? And so we want to align our sexuality with God's purposes and God's design. 
and you have stumbled yourselves into a church that believes that God's design is one man and one woman for life. That is the, uh, the appropriate place for sexuality. And anything outside that is sexual sin. <laughs> Amen, Mark. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. These are my favorite sermons because they're so quiet. So quiet here. Uh, and so uh, a couple things before I get into the, the main topic here is, is two things. First of all, I am not singling out any particular group or any sexual sin. I'm not predominantly talking about the LGBTQ plus community. I'm not talking about same-sex marriage. I'm not talking about same-sex same attraction, though it certainly does include all these things. What I am wanting to communicate today is that each one of us, whether we are straight or gay or married or divorced or we, uh, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we are sexually broken. All right? Because of the fall, because of original sin, each one of us is sexually broken, and each one of us needs God's grace, and we need God's healing if we are going to live out a holy sexuality. Okay? Amen? And also, uh, when we talk about sex and sexuality, oftentimes it, it marginalizes single people, and I, that's the last thing that I want to do. So if you are single here today, I just want to just speak honor and value to that. We sometimes act like marriage is the only uh, appropriate uh, thing for, uh, for Christian people to do, right? But Jesus didn't get married. Paul wasn't married. Paul even said, you know, I encourage you, if you can, don't get married so you can devote all of your time and all of your energy to the Lord. And so I don't want singles to think that their sexuality is unimportant or that they are second-class citizens in the church, all right? So this message is just as much for the singles as it is for married folks, okay? There's my two disclaimers today. Okay, so what we are going to do is talk about sexuality in the, the kingdom of God, and we're going to move into Ephesians uh, chapter 4 in a minute here. But what I want to ask is that how are we supposed to live out our sexuality, whether we're straight or, or gay or married or we're single, how do we submit our sexuality uh, to God so that it is appropriate? Well, just like we learned when we talked about communication, we need to submit our sexuality to the law of Christ-like love. Okay? In John 13, he said, this is review from week one, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? And so just as in our communication and in our actions, we are supposed to prefer people as more important than ourselves, we're supposed to love people just like Jesus loved us, right? Which was self-sacrificially. He washed his disciples' feet right before he said this. He went on to go to the cross to die for the sins of people who were shaking their fists in anger uh, against him, right? He died for his enemies. And he says, you guys are supposed to love like that. 
right? Not just your friends, not just your, your neighbors, not just uh, your, your spouse or your kids or your community, but your enemies. This, you're supposed to love everybody like this, right? And so we love like Jesus loved us. And John, 20 or 30 years later, wrote this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the constant message of John to his churches. Love like Jesus loved. And so since every relationship should be based on Christ-like love, that includes our sexuality. So that is, the, that is where we're launching off from. Our sexuality is supposed to prefer others as more important than ourselves. Right? Kingdom sexuality is selfless. And what we're going to see in Ephesians is that the world's sexuality is greedy and selfish. Okay? You guys are so excited. I'm so glad. All right. <laughs> Am I, is my face red? Yeah. Is it? Oh, good. Okay. Ephesians 4, 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So Paul says here at the very beginning, don't live like the Gentiles do. But can anybody tell me who Paul is writing this letter to? Is Christians, but they're Gentile Christians. He was the minister of the gospel to the Gentiles, so he's telling the Gentiles, Stop living like the Gentiles live. What are you talking about, Paul? That's what we do. And so Paul is not saying that culturally being a Gentile is bad, right? Paul celebrates nationalities and races and cultures. He very, very clearly told people, you do not have to become a Jew to become a Christian, right? You can be a Gentile Christian. But Paul is not saying stop being ethnically Gentile. He says stop being ethically Gentile. That's a good word, huh? Amber liked that one. (laughs) Uh, So, because they were called out of that, right? And so the Gentiles were living in incredible sexual sin. Some people say sexual sin that makes our current culture look tame in comparison. Right? And so he's saying, I'm calling you out. Don't live like that. Don't live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Uh, every, they're practicing every kind of impurity. They're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul is encouraging the Gentile church here in Ephesians, in Ephesus, excuse me, to, to turn away from that old way of life. They are called out. They are to be different than the nations around them. I stole this quote from Pastor Anthony. This is Pastor Anthony's favorite commentator, David Guzik. He says, There is a constant tendency for Christians 
to display to the world that we really aren't so different after all. This is usually a misguided effort to gain the world's respect or approval. This must be resisted at all costs because the goal in itself is both undesirable and unachievable. We often go through life wanting to show people, hey, we're just, we're Christians, we're not that much different, you know, we're cool. I like to watch 24. Is that a cool show? Is that a, is that a good? I don't know, a TV show. I like Twilight. Um, <laughs> so we, tr- we try to, you know, uh, engage with the culture. We think we'll, we'll be more attractive if they see that we're not much, that much different than them, right? We can kind of do the stuff that they do and kind of get in the, the, the back door. But God was very clear with the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. He's very clear with the Ephesians here in, you know, 2,000 years ago. And he's very clear with us today that we are different. We are wholly new. And it is that newness, that freedom from the junk of the world that is going to draw people to the kingdom of God. Right? And so through this whole section, I don't have enough time to really dive into all eight verses, though that would be really, really fun. But what we see here is the Lord is inviting the, the Ephesians and he's inviting us into a new way of thinking. He's inviting us into this brand new kingdom. All right? He's saying, you used to be Gentiles, but now you have been brought into a brand new way of life. Right? Leave behind the ethic of that culture and step into the, the, the ethic of the kingdom. You used to live in futility, but now you live in truth. You used to live darkened and ignorant, but now you have been taught. You know the truth. Right? You have put off the old being. Right? That old nature that is destined for corruption and death. And you have put on something completely new. In the old kingdom, you lived in deceit. You were blinded. You were darkened. But now you live in the truth. You used to live in this corrupted, defiled state that was destined for death. And now you are a new creation. You used to be stuck in impurity and lust. And now, in Jesus Christ, you are righteous and you are holy. Before the cross, before you put your faith in Jesus, you were separated from the life of God. But now... You are created to be like God. All right, and so this is a very clear uh, example, and, and we can see all these in, in, in the eight verses, that the old way of life is different from the new way of life. And he says very clearly that we are supposed to put off the old way of life with all its broken and confused ways of, of looking at sex. Right? We cannot be in both places at the same time. Right? And if you're a Christian and you're still playing by the, the rules of, of the world in, regarding your sexuality, then James would, would have called you double-minded. Right? And in James chapter 1, verse 8, he warns people about being double-minded. Don't tr- you can't try to live in both kingdoms at the same time. You have to be all in or you're out. And that is intense language that sometimes we try to work around in in the church because we want it to feel inclusive and easy, right? But there's a cost to the discipleship. There is a cost to entering into the kingdom of God. 
My son Josh is in the marching band at Portage Northern, and the marching band is a real big deal in, in many high schools and in, in Portage Northern. And they practice all the time. In the, the end of the summer, they had five, five or six days of like 14-hour practices, right? And then they had Sunday off. Some of them went to um, Cedar Point. They got up at 6 a.m. the next day to go to Cedar Point. Crazy. And then Monday started again with shorter days, like only eight hours a day for the next week. And, and so it's this intense thing. And there's practices throughout the school year on, I don't know, Tuesdays and Thursdays. It doesn't matter. There's practices through the school year. They've got to be at all the football games. You have to be at Saturday practices. You have to be at all the, the competitions on Saturdays. It is a huge deal. And for Josh to be part of the marching band, he couldn't go, I'll go to this practice and I'll go to this competition and that one works out for me, so I'll do, I'll do that. Right? If he's in the band, he's all in. If he's like, I'm just going to do these few bits and I'm going to do these few parts and actually I don't like the third movement so I'm going to sit that one out and I'll come back for the fourth, the the band director would be like, you're done. You're out. Make a decision. Are you in? Are you out? Are you playing by the band's rules? Are you playing by fun Josh's rules? And so I feel bad for him sometimes. Like he's out, he was out, I don't know, he got home at like midnight last night and I, I was in bed already and then got up and got to, go to church. But that's, that's the cost, right, of being in the band. And so Paul, what's my point? Paul is saying that there is a, a, a cost, that you have to make a decision. Are you moving from the kingdom of darkness, which isn't that great. It's full of futility and darkness and ignorance deceit, corruption, impurity, you're separated from God, you can stay there if you want to, or through the free gift of Jesus Christ, you can come in and you can be made brand new. It just means aligning yourself with the ethic of the kingdom and aligning yourself with the king of the kingdom. We're called to make a clean break with that old way of life. And so we, friends, we are separated from our culture, and our sexuality. Okay. And so what we see here at the, at the end of, nine, of verse 19 is that all impure activity is rooted in greedy desire. Right? Paul says this to the Ephesians, having lost all sensitivity, people in the, the Gentile ethic Right? They've lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality, to indulge in every kind of impurity. They're just doing whatever they want, whatever they feel is good, at any time they want. Why? Because they're full of greed. In that old way of living, in the, in the world's uh, ethic, it's all about me. Right? And sometimes if we look real hard, we can find that in our current culture. The the English Standard Version says it like this, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so this includes all sin, but Paul is talking about sexual sin here, giving themselves up to sensuality, doing what they want when they want to do it. And it is rooted in this greed, in this greedy desire to, to, to please themselves first and foremost. And this, friends, is the opposite of the law of Christ-like love that we have been called to do. 
right? In, in our sexuality, we are called to die to ourselves and prefer other people, all other people, as more important than us. Okay, so that is the theory. And so now, friends, we're going to get a little bit more practical. Good times. What does this mean for us today, right? What does this mean for married folks? What does practicing the law of Christ-like love in our sexuality mean for people that are married? Well, one way we can see sexual sin impacting and bringing destruction into marriage relationships, and these are, this isn't a complete list of, of problems. This is just to, to get our minds thinking about how it can be destructive, is we can, is, you know, if one spouse withholds sex in order to manipulate or control the other, right? That is brokenness. Why? It's because you are using this gift of, of God that God has given you for a purpose to, to bring pleasure and to bring intimacy in your relationship, and you're using it as a weapon, right? And that is manipulative. It is destructive, it is greedy, and that is not submitting your sexuality to the law of Christ-like love, right? Or we can also see when a, a, a spouse uses sex for their own gratification, right, without caring about the, the, the gratification of their spouse. Stop looking at me, Mom. <laughs> inappropriate. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I just make jokes. I'm sorry. Right? So, <laughs> so um, <laughs> this is why Cameron doesn't normally let me teach on these kind of things. Oh, my goodness. Right? And so, if you are using sex merely for your own satisfaction, just, you know, it, you know it's, it's inappropriate, right? It's, um, how do I say this? It's, 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 it's like glorified masturbation, right? It's only for your own pleasure. There's no concern for the other person that's involved, right? And that is greedy. That is selfish. It is the opposite of the law of Christ-like love, okay? And so when we don't uh, approach our sexuality in that way as married people, we are disobeying God and we are bringing destruction into our marriages. And if you do, if you act like that very long sexually or with other sin towards your wife, you're going to, it's going to lead up to greater and greater sexual sin, maybe even adultery, right? Where this is a, the, the breaking of the, the marriage covenant, right? There, when we, uh, sex is placed inside the, the safety and the protection of the marriage covenant on, on purpose because there, right, it can be nurtured and it can be uh, used to God's glory. But outside of that, it is broken. It brings pain and corruption and death, right? So if you are married, when you think about sex, think, how can I prefer my spouse as more important than me? That could actually be a really fun conversation, hey, in our sexuality, how can I prefer you as more important than myself? It can be fun. Date talks, yeah. Yeah, probably not dinner conversation, you know. 
Okay, so what about for single people? How do single people, how should you approach your sexuality in, in order to align it with, with God's uh, plan and with God's purpose? Well, first I would say that uh, sexual sin devalues your sexuality. Right? It is an incredible gift that is super valuable and should not be just thrown away flippantly. Right? Um, sex unites people, like I said, physically and emotionally and spiritually. And when you have multiple sexual partners, it is destructive in all those areas. You're bringing this baggage and destruction into your future marriage if you get married. Right? And as a single person, you want to be the kind of person that the person you want to be with wants to be with. That's an Andy Stanley. That's an Andy Stanleyism. So you want to be the kind of person that the person you want to be with wants to be with. Okay? And so what the point is that you want to be a person that, that values integrity, that values the, 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 the gift of, of sexuality and marriage. Because if you are going to throw away the, and treat the, the covenant and sexuality as, as unimportant, how does your future spouse know that they're going to be able to trust you in the future? And how do you know that you're going to be trustworthy in the future? Because I promise you, getting married is not going to help any of your sexual sin problems. It'll probably exacerbate it, make it worse. Okay? Okay. And then, uh, also as we're talking about single people, the, the reality of the studies show, and this is, not the, this is not biblical, this is just studies, show that people who cohabitate or have sex prior to marriage, and I've met with numerous people who were cohabitating that said they were not having sex, and I go, okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, but if you cohabitate or have sex before marriage, you are much more like, you're more likely to uh, get divorced than those who honored that, right? Who did not have sex and did not cohabitate before they were, they were married, right? There is something about God's plan and God's purpose, God's in our choosing to, to value God's covenants and his uh, ordained institutions, whatever we want to call marriage, right, that shows that we are the kind of people that will have flourishing marriages, that can have flourishing relationships. So single folks, protect your sexuality. It is valuable and should not be given away flippantly. Okay, last but not least, don't worry friends, we're going to talk about pornography. Yay, pornography it is impossible to look at pornography and submit to the law of Christ-like love. It is impossible. Pornography is always greedy, right? And as you take that in, you are hardening your heart. You are greedily indulging in sexual sin. The reality is, and we like to think about pornography as, you know, it's not hurting anybody. You know, it, nobody else is involved. Incorrect. You are hurting yourself. You are hurting the person you are looking at. You are hurting your future spouse. You are sinning against all those people and you're sinning against God. Right? You are hardening your heart. You are living greedily. As we look at pornography, it degrades the women or the men that we view into mere objects that are used just for our own satisfaction. We take off of them their personality, their, their souls, and we just turn them into these flesh puppets that are made to, to dance for our satisfaction. 
And pornography ruins us for sexual intimacy. It makes the the sex act uh, selfish. It, It destroys intimacy. It makes sex with regular people seem un, uh, uh, something you don't want. Uh, <laughs> uninteresting. You like it because you're so, you become so selfish and lost in your, your fantasies, right, that it, it just ruins you for intimacy, right? Porn users have less and less interest in actual, se- actual sex. They're lost in the world of self-pleasure, and I've seen pornography ruin so many relationships bring you know and bring difficulty and pain into relationships and so you can't think that it is victimless that it is not a significant thing when we look at pornography we are funneling in sin and corruption and death into our lives and into our marriages into our families and into our communities uh, real quick, just because I have a couple of minutes, Jesus said in, in Matthew that you know, if you look uh, lustfully, it's the same as committing adultery, that it is sexual sin. Right? And the more we allow this garbage into our hearts, it pollutes us. And what we allow in is going to come out in our lives. Matthew 12 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Right? And, and as you embrace this old way of living, as you're trying to straddle two kingdoms, right? you cannot stay there for long. It is going to affect you. It is going to transform you. And it is going to come out one way or the other. Looking at, at somebody else lustfully, it breeds uh, comparison and it breeds discontentment with your own spouse. It is so dangerous in that way. Lustful looking, it also robs people of their dignity, like we already said. And, and it's important, you know, I've heard people say, well, I'm just admiring God's handiwork. <laughs> Stop it. You know, like that is that is crazy. That don't 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 allow that to be the the lie that you believe that somehow makes it okay to look lustfully at other people. I'm glad the Wagners are having such a good time, right? Uh, lustful looking it objectifies a, a person, and this is a child of God that is supposed to be honored and valued. Okay, good times. So, what do we do? If you've been stuck in a pattern of sin, I want to tell you, today is not just a bunch of bad news and that, oh man, I'm stuck in sexual sin, I must be in the old kingdom, I'm just going to give up, it's over for me. No, there is hope for you. God is a God of new beginnings and a God of new life. And we can hold on to all those promises that we saw in Ephesians 4, right? That we have been made new, that we have stepped into righteousness and holiness. And so this is how you walk out of sexual sin. First, you confess it out loud to another person, all right? It is real easy to want to go, well, I'm just going to go into my prayer closet, right? And I'm going to repent to God because it's easier than repenting or confessing to a person. Well, if we really think about that, 
it should be way more terrifying to confess to God, right? He is the holy and the righteous creator of the universe, the sovereign God who is going to judge the living and the dead. I would much rather confess to Dale than to that holiness and amazingness, right? So, and so often when we are confessing quietly in our closet, it can just be this, we're just confessing to ourselves to make ourselves feel better. Right? Because we don't want, it's embarrassing to, to come to somebody and be like, oh man, I've been looking at pornography again. You know, will you pray with me? And as somebody who is, can receive that, you know, we, um, we have the honor of, of speaking forgiveness over them. Right? God says it, that we have the, the, the keys of the kingdom, that what we uh, loose on on earth is loose. What we forgive is forgiven. Like that seems like a crazy power to, to give to regular people. But if, if Luke comes down, this is just an example, just an example. If Luke comes to me and confesses of some sexual sin, I have the authority as, as, uh, as a Christ follower to go, Luke, you are forgiven. Right? And hearing somebody say that to you can break the power of that sin. Right? It, this is not a time, if you are the one hearing confession, to get legalistic and to get hard and go, well, you know how bad that is? Do you know why you shouldn't do that? Do you do this and that? Like, you should feel terrible. Guess what? They already know. <laughs> they already know. You don't have to beat it into them. So just offer the grace of God. Offer forgiveness. So if you want to walk out of sexual sin, confess it out loud to a person. Pray that God would bring his light and truth to your mind. Ephesians 4 talked about this callousness and this, this darkness, this emptiness. We can get so callous and unfeeling that we don't even care about sexual sin anymore. Right? And so we invite God, will you come and bring your light and your truth into my mind? Will you fill me with your life again? You know, we've stepped into this old way of life. Would you bring me back into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of life? Ask God to soften your hardened conscience. And ask him to help you feel the appropriate grossness of sexual sin. Because it's gross, friends. And we forget that because our culture and our minds tell us that this is just normal. This is, this is healthy. I actually had to read an article for a class I'm taking, and there is this company out of Chicago called like Alibi.com. Don't anybody use this? And they they uh, help people have affairs by creating false um, like alibi. You know, they they'll send cards of like, hey, here's a, uh, like a business event that you could attend. And it comes in the mail and they show, their, oh, I'm going to go to this business conference, right? And, they, and then they'll, they'll give the spouse a phone number and if it comes, they'll act like they're the hotel. Like it's this ridiculous, involved way. I was like, just leave them. <laughs> Why are you doing this? And the, in the article, the, the owner of it said, what we're doing is a service because if somebody's going to go to this level, it means that they still care about the person that they're cheating on. I'm like, what? <laughs> how, is this, how is this our world, right? But the, and so there's these, there's these lies, right? That this is just normal and it's healthy and it's good. 
but we're different friends. We are called out of the world's way of looking at life and looking at sexuality. Okay, we pray, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then finally, find a relationship where you can be open and honest about what you're going through. Right? And don't pick a person that is mean and is not going to help you. Find somebody that is kind and compassionate and is willing to walk this out with you. Right? All right. Well, there you go. I'm just going to close in, in prayer. So, Father God, we love you. Yes. And we, we thank you for our sexuality. We thank you for giving, giving us the, the gift of sex. And Lord, we want to use it appropriately and find ourselves within your boundaries and within your expectations. Lord, help us to view and approach our sexuality through the, the law of Christ-like love where we prefer others before ourselves. And Lord, I pray right now for any person that has been stuck in habitual or uh, sexual sin in whatever form, Lord, that you would speak freedom over them right now. Lord, that you would speak your forgiveness and that you would show them that there is a path to freedom, which is surrender to Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls. Lord, you are so good. And Lord, we give uh, our sexuality to you. We give our whole lives to you. In your name we pray. Amen.